Well, I um, I brought my spray bottle to church today for my mate Zeke. Oh, <laughs> just to help, just help keep him up. There's something about the dulcet tones of my Canadian accent that just just lull him into such a sense of peace and comfort. So, which is which is great. I, I like that. Just so distracted by myself. That's better. Right. But you miss it, but I was saying that I think I'd like to cruise off with Ali and Hannah as well and go sing some songs and chill and hang out. That's having pretty fun. We'll, uh, we'll dig into this topic. You want to go too? No, I think we'll do. Oh, it's not separate. It's, it's just, you know. Yeah, it feels so nice to see everybody's face and feel like we get to pull close for a minute on a, a Sunday. And yeah, great to be here with this crew. That feels like a treat too. We spent the last few days away at a, just catching a holiday. We went from our holiday house to a holiday house. Greg, Lisa, and Zeke, and that was really fun. Greg starts his new job tomorrow. I'm pumped for that. Building super yachts or something cool like that. I don't know exactly. What it all involves, but yeah, I'm stoked for what's happening in your world, mate. Praying for you tomorrow, but yeah, we're we're cruising into this belonging topic, which uh, honestly, uh, I said to our our group over here when we kicked off and started, I was like, "This is my I think this is my favorite week of of the Never Alone study for people who are tracking with that." Uh, and then I got into it and. I found myself going like, oh, I want to rewrite it, <laughs> James. So that'll be fun. We'll have a think about that. But I felt like, oh, you know what? There's, there's more to this. There's, there's, there's more to this. And it's a really tough topic to get our, our heads around. You know, I remember writing the title, and I titled this week, Belonging with God. I did that intentionally because I felt like uh, belonging to God was too strong a statement. It was almost like, you don't know me, you know? I'm not yours. You know, it's almost like, in every sense, it's almost like this idea is a bit too much for us. Mm. You know, and, and so I wrote Belonging with God because it felt softer, it felt, mm. felt nicer, it felt, you know, but the truth of the matter is, like, in my life, I do belong to Leela. My life is hers. I committed to them. I, you know, that's a marriage bond. I committed my life to her. You know, this is, I belong to you. This life, this humanity, this is yours. It's yours to have. I'm your man. To have and to hold. Cuddles. Who doesn't want to cuddle? But it's like, you know, when we talk about this idea of belonging to God, it almost just feels too much. Like, it's like, oh, really? Trust him? Who would want to belong to him? What would he do with me if I did belong to him? How would he use my life? What would he do? What would he make me do? Where would he send me? What would it have to look like? Well, I don't belong to nobody. I belong to myself. You know, I forget about all that. You know, the, the, the neuroscience idea that sits behind this is, it's, you know, I was saying to Curtis just before we started, I said, this is a really hard piece to get our noodles wrapped around because it's almost like we don't have enough examples of it. And the only place that this exists is in examples. You know, and, and I'm not even sure how good our me to you examples are of deep attachment. 
you know, the, the problem with attachment, which attachment is what leads to belonging, essentially. It's this idea of, oh, I love you. I love you. And I want that to grow. And I want us to share more. And actually, as those bonds grow, we become people to one another. You are my people and I'm your people. You know, when, when you think about that phrase, who are your people? Or who's your person? Let's, let's hope, let's fingers crossed we got a person. Because maybe people is too hard a concept. And this, this is what I'm saying. Like, in some senses, we've lost such ground in these areas that it's, it's, it's hard to even capture an idea of it. So think about that. You know, who, what picture comes to mind when I say, who is your person? Just think, let that face come to mind. You might struggle. Might be there straight away, 100%. That's my person. That's. Or those are my people, and five or six or seven faces come to mind. But the truth of the matter is, who we are as communal beings, and the way that our brain is designed and wired, and the way our processes work without even thinking about it, is we consider our people when we consider what we do. And so I talk a bit about this on day three, but honestly, it's really not clear. It's probably the part that really needs to be rewritten. But basically, you know, conscious thought, left brain runs at a certain pace. And then we've got our right brain activity, which is, you know, con conscious thought, decision making, all that lives in the, in the left brain. And in the right brain is the identity and relationship and uh, implicit memories. You know, this um, emotive being that we are. And all of our reactions and responses come from that. I mean, one of the examples that I used in the study is you don't walk down the street and go, do I know you, do I know you, do I know you, do I know you, do I know you? That's conscious thought. You walk down the street and your brain's going, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, there's a face I recognize. That's the part of us that we're talking about here is the part of you that you're not in control of, the part of you that you're not making a decision about, but that exists innately and then leads to our conscious reactions. And that part of us, when it becomes attached to someone in such a way that we build a relationship that goes, you are one of my people, those faces and those people and how they live and what they live for actually affect the decisions we make before we're even thinking about it. Because a part of the reaction process is going, what is it like to be us? And we actually, our brain processes, what is it like to be us? What is it like for my people to act? before it says, what is it like to act like me? And so my people are informing my decisions and my being, and it's, it's an innate sense of, you know, we swear, we don't swear, we're kind, or we're mean, we're brash, or we're harsh, or we're gentle, or we're loving. Like, you know, when you think about it, there's all sorts of people who act all sorts of ways, and we imitate one another, and we create a value system together that goes, this is what it is to act like us. And as Christians or as followers of Jesus, we are trying our best to be like him. But something changes when Jesus builds a love relationship with you and me, where he becomes one of my people. He begins to innately affect how I live, what I prioritize, what I value, what I'm interested in, what I'm pursuing, what I'm looking for. Because it, it begins to inform this foundational layer within me that says, this is what it is to act like me is to be like Jesus, who's one of my people. But when we start to think about your person, think about the kind of relationship you've built with that person. 
It takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes going to the rodeo a few times and coming out the other side. It takes being in it. It takes getting to know, well, what's it like with Jesus when I stuff up? How does he treat me? What, what does he do when I'm in a place of desperation? And, you know, I'm not sure we're going to him enough to give him the space and the place in our life where he can become anything like my people. But what would happen? What would change in our lives? You know, and I think, honestly, the discipleship process is about coming to know Jesus such that he would become a trusted friend, one of my people. Yeah. That's really what this whole topic is about. You know, and in some senses, uh, that comes down to this idea of love. You know, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 38, you, you know this. This is, not a, this is not a shocking passage of scripture. You're not going to be like, whoa, where did he pull this one from? <laughs> Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, now shake off the familiarity with this for a second. This idea that the greatest thing that we could do is love God with all that we are. And let's ask the question, do we? Just for a minute, like, do you have anything within you that looks like love for God? Because I think as I, as I let this kind of like sift me for a minute, I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of things there. You know, and as we think about this real relationship with a real God, it's like, okay, well, what does loving God look like for me? Do I? Is it there? What? What? Is it just, am I just looking for an outcome? Am I looking for help? Am I looking for wisdom or assistance? Is Jesus maybe like more of a doctor to me than a person? Is he more of a resource that I call upon for expertise or for something to sort something out because I'm beyond my pay grade. And that's not a bad thing. Like I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's it's a great place to start. And it does start there. But it's like, okay, well, if we've come to know God in that way, what does it how how in our relationship with Him do we begin to go deeper? Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about passionate desire to enter into a relationship with Jesus that goes deep. It goes past knowing what I should and shouldn't do and doing the right thing and trying to make it happen and trying to be a good person. This comes down to I have found one that my soul longs for. It's a different kettle of fish. You know, I had a friend growing up who, uh, I, just, I just loved this guy. It wasn't a weird kind of thing. He's just a brother and I loved him, you know. Neither of us had girlfriends, and, you know, I, I, I remember talking to him on the phone one day. I moved over to Australia, and this is just before, you know, I um, signed the deal, and Lila and I sort of started down the track. But I said to him, you know, man, what if we just, like, live our lives for God and just get, you know, take a camper van, just go do whatever. Like, let's just you and me, like, just take on the world for Jesus together. Because I love this guy. I was like, I want to be in it with you. I want to tackle an adventure and get on a journey with you. Like, let's do this, you know? And it's like, well, with him, like, we built something where I enjoyed his company. And I was satisfied by the things he talked about. And the things he loved, I came to love. And 
things I loved, he came to love, and we enjoyed doing things together. What does it look like to begin to build that kind of relationship with Jesus? And is it possible? Is he actually a friend? Could he be? You know, that space and place, I know we are so familiar with this, and it's part of the is part of the problem because it's something we know so clearly and so well. But it's like, what does it look like with all my heart to begin to seek a love relationship with God? In John chapter 14, verse 18 to 21, it says, I will not leave you, this is Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved, and helpless. I'll come back to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. And because I live, you will also live. You will live also. Roll here. I'll change my prescription. On that day, when that time comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in my Father, and you are in me. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him. You know, I think that what Jesus is saying here is that the person who does it all right, who keeps it all right, and remembers all these things, will get the good thing. I think what he's saying is, the person who discovers me and really knows me, will keep these commandments. Because my life will be flowing in them. You will be like me. When you come to know me and I become real to you, you know, and I think this is the promise we have. The person who lives like Jesus loves Jesus. The love of Jesus leads to a life that looks like his because we can't help it. That's what this part of us does. When we come, you know, I was talking about my friend. He was totally into mountain biking. I've never really been into mountain biking. All of a sudden, you know, my love for this guy means I'm on a mountain bike. I mean, I look at my relationship with Leela. I've talked about this before. You know, like this life I no longer, that I live, I no longer live for myself. I now live it for Leela Olson. I mean, that's not how the verse is written, but <laughs> it's a little bit the truth, you know. Like two will become one. It says the two will become one flesh. Like, I have changed so much since meeting Leela, like I do the dishes every night before I go to bed automatically without even considering it. I mean, I was the guy who like for four or five days would let the dishes stack up in the kitchen and it just didn't matter. I make my bed. You know, there's all sorts of things, but you know, who I am has been changed by joining my life to Leela. And I can't say that my favorite things and my priorities, I had never sunbaked in my life before I met Leela. I'd never laid on a beach. The first time that I ever went to a beach with Leela, she's got her bag. I'm thinking, sweet, this is going to be so fun. We're going to you know, jump in the water. We're going to swim. We're going to toss balls around. We're going to have a great time because that's what it's like me to do. But what I came to find out is that what it's like Leela to do is put her towel down on the sand and lay for about 17 hours in the sun. Well, I was thinking about this the other day on a, on a, when we were laying out in the sun together during Ella's nap, and I was thinking, she's changed me. <laughs> she's changed me. I spend time laying in the sun reading a book because Leela has changed me. Okay, that's the human principle. But the truth of the matter is our love for Jesus and our and our prolific pursuit of him 
changes us mm -hmm. because we discover what he likes. And you know what? We come to like it too. We discover what he's passionate about. And you know what? We start to see that passion coming out in our own lives. We come to see what's important to him. And you know what? That starts getting important to us. And it's like this, this becomes a part of us where we're not trying to be something. We're being changed by a passionate man who has come close to us and is showing us a life that we want to be a part of. I want to be his mate. I want to know him. I want to roll with him. I want to do the things he's doing. I want to be about what he's about. You know, this is a different part of us. And what does it look like? How can we begin in our day-to-day -day lives to begin to pursue closeness with Jesus? That means he's becoming one of my people. Not just a consultant or not just an expert on something or not just someone I need something from here or there. Or not someone I'm trying to please or impress, but like, a, dude, I just couldn't be without. But I want to be, you know? I remember, I don't, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places you go here, I guess, and yeah, I, I mean, I can remember the time, I've told this story before, but I remember the time when Lila and I landed in, in Honolulu, and we were just 24 hours there, and then we were headed to Canada, and we were moving back there for a year, and, uh, you know, really quickly went down to the beach, we were hanging out down there, Lila said, oh, I want to get a drink, can I have your wallet, give her my wallet, she goes into the convenience store, buys a drink, puts my wallet in the bag, comes back out, drinks a drink, we go to leave the beach, she puts the bin, the bag in the bin. Uh-oh, get back to the hotel, I'm like, hey, where's my wallet? We're like getting ready to go to the airport, I'm like, where's my wallet? She's like, she just goes white in the face, she goes, it was in the bag, I threw it in the bin, and she's out the door, and she's running the 15 minutes back to the beach to go find it. She goes back, I'm just sitting at the hotel waiting, 40 minutes later, she comes back, she's like, I can't find it, it's gone, it's not in the bin. Going. And I'm like, oh shoot, what are we gonna do? I don't know, I gotta call the credit card company and cancel these credit cards and we're moving countries and we got licenses to change over and all this kind of stuff. And I've got no ID now and no credit cards, and it's a huge inconvenience and we're quite stressed about it. Anyway, and I'm like, well, I'll go down and I'll I'll get a calling card and I'll, I'll cancel this card. Anyway, you can make a long story short, but uh as I'm walking out of the hotel to go get a long distance calling card to change this to cancel this credit card, I hear the still small voice of God in my inner being. So in the part where I can think and talk to myself in my own thoughts, I hear, I'm going to help you find your credit. I'm going to help you find it. And I was like, okay, but I'll go cancel the credit card first. Go into the shop. How do you get a calling card now? Sorry, the system's down. Three shops later, God's still saying to me, I want to help you find this. Couldn't get a, couldn't get a long distance card in, in Honolulu to save my life. Anyway, I'm like, well, what do I do now? He's like, go down to the beach, sit down at the beach. Go sit down at the beach. This 20 minutes of sitting down there, and I'm like, we have got a plane to catch, and I'm so stressed. And I'm like, what am I going to do? This this lady, little old lady's walking up the path, and here you go and say, ask her for your wallet. I was like, what do we Okay. Okay, let's see what happens. I said, hey, I don't know what's happened. We, we checked our wallet in the bin. It's gone. It's not there. You know, have you seen it? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. Haven't seen it, haven't seen it. I was like, are you sure? Because, like, you have all the money in it. I don't mind about that. It's just really important. And if you know where it is, like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, throw it in now. He's like, sit back down. I sat back down, waited there for another 10 minutes. I'm like, God, what are we doing? Like, this isn't working. This is not happening, you know? Waited there another 10 minutes and she comes walking back by. 
she goes, oh, come with me, come with me. And she was learning English as a second language. They took me down, down the path and down onto the beach. And this really, really old lady was there and they would speaking in a different language. And she reaches into this garbage bag and pulls out my wallet. Says her name. Took that wallet. So who would just help me with a little thing? He's real. He's present. He's here. He cares. My heart was just like soaring. I was like, oh my God, you are the it's a wallet. Who cares? But I was like, this is the best. I went running. I don't know, runner. You can see <laughs> why are you laughing? Don't laugh. You can see that. I ran. I went back to the hotel. I'm so sweaty. And I was like, Leela. Because I wanted to tell my person about my person. I wanted to tell my person about my person. You're not going to believe it. Put the wallet back. And the only way that I would have done that is that I've got a friend who cares. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who wants me to know he's real and who wants me to reach for him and who wants me to get to know him more. I was so inspired by something so stupid. But what is it going to be for us? How can we open our lives to a real God encountering us in a real life, in a real way, and go, can you met my friend? This dude knows it all. And he can sort out whatever. I, I just think, we've got to get to the reality of it. And in that moment, I'm like, I'm like what you want? Because this is amazing. And you are real, and I never want to forget it. But the truth of the matter is, I do. And I turn him into something that he isn't. Some uncool dude who wants me to live a life that's a bit boring and asks something of me that I don't want to do. That's not who my man is. That is not who he is. One more. Gotta get this moving, but you know, I think a biblical picture of this, that's a picture of it for me, like, hey, just uh, finding my person, helping me out in the process. But in Luke chapter 15, we've got the story of prodigal son. I thought about it. And I was like, well, God, where is this belonging bit in your story? And where is it in the word, you know? I thought about that son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance. Mm-hmm. And went and took that inheritance and blew it on probably booze, you know? Let's be honest, he's out there. Well, whatever he was doing, he spent it all. He spent it all. And now he's eaten from the pig troughs because he's got nothing. He decides, you know what? My dad back home treats his workers and slaves better than I'm getting here. Maybe I'll just go back to my dad and I'll say, Look, I'm sorry, I've dishonored you. I've done a horrible thing. But could I just like be a worker here? Right? You know, because he forgot that that's his people. He forgot who his dad was. Anyway, and so we picked this story up. In, in verse 20, it says, So he got up and he came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe for the guest of honor and put it on him. Give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's invite everyone and feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was as good as dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's been found. And they began to celebrate. You know, this is what we have. We have a father that says, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you are, 
how much of mine you've wasted or how wrong you've gotten it. He's got honor for us and he's got a place for us. And when we forget who he is, we turn him into something that was never meant to be. And this son, in this point in his life, needed his people. And this is the picture of what we have in our God. And, and, and when we turn it into something other than that, this becomes a religion that we have to follow. It becomes rules that we have to accomplish. It becomes something that we have to do. We come groveling back going, well, maybe he's got something for me. He goes, have you forgotten? You're my people. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And I, I don't know that, I don't know how we get our noodles wrapped around this. I don't know how we begin to move towards this and go, all right, if that's who you are, maybe just, maybe I can trust you a little bit more than I do. Like maybe just, maybe like, you got something for me. Maybe I could just come groveling back for a, a little position somewhere. And it's like, then we find out how he sees us. What a story. But the beautiful thing that happens when we begin to open the depths of our heart up to the love of a God who wants to be a part of our story and wants to be our people is, is this Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 starts to come alive in us. And it says, therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him. Follow his example. Just pause. You know, who in their life doesn't want to be like the father in that story? Just, just think about it for a minute. That's a story we want to write in this lifetime, right? That's a love we want to carry. That's a response we want to have. You know what? Every one of us are at risk of going, oh, I told you that wasn't a good idea, wasting all that cash down the road. Now you're going to have to suffer a bit, son. You know, we, we're all at risk of responding out of our own wisdom, but... You know, when we become imitators of God, our story partners with something that's beyond this world. And we start to have something in situations that we didn't have before because we're, we've been recipients of a story that's changed us. And actually, there's something alive in us. And I find myself partnering with a love that's beyond what I ever could have imagined. I find myself, I want, I want, to, I want to be the father in the story to the sons who I find myself and the daughter that I've been given. I want to find myself with that love that goes, there's nothing you could do that would separate you from the love I'm determined to have for you. Anyways, therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father and continue and walk continually in love that is value one another and practice empathy, empathy and compassion, unselfishly seeking the best for others, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and sacrifice to God slain for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, the other day I was thinking about, it was, these, the, the, the John Eldridge pauses are kind of wrecking me at the moment. I'm not really too sure what it is, but he, he brought it to this point in this one pause, you know, where he's really talking about uh, fixing our minds on the things of the kingdom and living for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of this world. And I, it's just like something just dropped in me. And it was like, I'm still seeking the kingdom so I could get the world. I still, something in me still believes that what the world has is still the best gig. And I was like, oh, 
Like, oh. And, and I think, uh, I think it takes an enormous trust in the reality of God to forsake the world and go after his kingdom. Don't we want to see what that might lead to? Don't we want to be those who would find a relationship with God that leads us into a greater thing? Even though we're terrified, it's not going to be better than what the world has to offer. And, and I found myself that morning going, I, I just, I just, you know, another moment of just wanting to push all the chips in on Jesus Christ. But what would you do with a lot? I don't know that we can get there on our own. But we have an example who did it. You know, we have one we can imitate. We have one who found the love of the Father to the point where nothing, no cost was too high. And that is a deep, deep bond. You know, like, my heart aches when I think of that one. When I think of my daughter, like, you know, like, she'll be in bed and I'll see her little bite sitting there or something. And I'll just be like, this ache just rises up in me. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And it's like to recognize that that's how God views me. And to find a safety there that lets me let go and go, all of this life is going to get pushed into you. I want to ache for God the way I ache for Ella. There's just nothing I wouldn't do. And I'm not there, but I want to be. All right, I'm going to close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 to 11. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding, and engrave them upon their hearts, affecting their, affecting their regeneration. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And it will not be necessary for each one to teach his fellow citizen, or for each one his brother, saying, No. By experience, have knowledge of the Lord. For all will know me by experience and have knowledge of me from the least to the greatest of them. Now this is the, this is the commitment of God that we find ourselves in, that we would be those, no one's going to have to tell you who he is. No one's going to have to teach you what he's like because you will know him by experience. It's my wallet story. Ah, oh, have you met me? Jesus. Have to tell him about tell you about him. That's what he's saying here. He's saying there'll be no need for anyone to speak of who our God is because you will have experienced the reality. And might it be so? Yeah, Jesus, we just ask that you would take these ideas and take this invitation of a depth of being your people, that you would sow it into our spirits, that you would weave it into our week, that you would bring it about in us that we might be yours, that you might be ours, that we might find something deeper, something more passionate, something more powerful coming alive in us, that we might find you, Jesus Christ, as one of our people. We want it. We want to be your kids, Father. Come, bring, bring about in us what only you can as we open our hearts to you and seek your face. I am praying in your name. All right. Well, let's let's chew on this idea for a minute, like of 
what it looks like to let a love rise within us for our God. Where have we seen Jesus act like one of our people? Where have we seen pieces that go, yeah, I think I could take that picture and lean into it a little bit and it would bring something to me? Or, or how do we feel about this idea of God being something closer and deeper, more intimate with us, where part of who he is begins to express itself as us. I know we're experiencing this. I know I'm talking about this like we aren't. And that's intentional because you know, I think there's a hunger for this that's rising up that's going to take us uh, deeper and further. It is for me. It is for me. So, I love you. Let's jump into some groups there and here. Let's chat about this idea of Jesus being one.